take out your Bibles and go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That's where we'll be going in just a few minutes. But it worked out that we did not plan it this way, um, but that it, it just so happened that right before we close out uh, this series where we're talking about our, our vision and our, and our mission for the church uh, with evangelism and missions, that the mission trip that I didn't know I was going on until a few weeks ago would fall the week right before. Uh, so it worked out really well in that way. A few, a few weeks ago, or I don't remember when it was, to be honest with you, but I was on Facebook and saw an ad for a company, I don't, it was a Christian company, and they said that they disagreed with a quote that's quite popular, and it reminded me of the importance of definitions and having a, a common understanding, especially as a church body, of what words mean when we talk about them. And that's a big reason we're talking about some of these things going through them. Now, the quote in question was, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And this person was saying they disagreed with Spurgeon on this quote because they're saying the call to be a missionary is, is this idea that you leave where you are to go somewhere else. And not every Christian has that call. I think the bigger issue is not whether they disagreed on, on the, the point, but rather what being a missionary is about. They had different definitions. So as we're looking at this, let's, we're going to establish some definitions for what we talk about. We talk about evangelism and missions. And a reason for this, so when I was a youth pastor, we talked about how going to camp, certain portions of camp would be covered if students participated in mission projects. But a lot of times the mission projects they would complete had nothing to do with the gospel. They had nothing to do with the spreading or advancing of the gospel. They were service things. They were things that they would maybe write on their beta form, beta hour forms and also do for church. And sometimes those things can overlap. So we changed it to service projects. It matters the words we use. It matters the definition if we want to have a cohesive understanding as a body. So evangelism is very simple. Sharing the gospel with others. Evangelism, our definition that we're going to be working with is sharing the gospel with others. When we talk about missions, we're talking about intentionally expanding the kingdom of God. When we talk about missions, we're talking about intentionally expanding the kingdom of God. So when we think about that, right, a missionary, they go to a foreign land where there is no gospel presence. They are intentionally going and expanding the kingdom of God. But when we think about the mission we have from God, you can do that where you are. Now, you might not call yourself a missionary, and I probably wouldn't either. Usually that term is reserved for those that go. But you are engaged, and you should be engaged for the, with the mission of God in a missionary-type way right where you live. Whether you're called near or far, you are called to be engaged in the mission of God. And we're going to look at that today. What does it mean to be involved in evangelism and missions who should be involved? How, do we, how are we involved? What does that look like? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the ability we have to gather here this morning. 
the ability to worship you freely. Father, we thank you for what Jesus has done for us. We thank you for the salvation that is made available through him. We thank you for your word that we are able to, to read and to see the truth about who you are and what you have done for us. And God, I pray that this morning that when we look at the word that you have given us, that you would impress upon our hearts what it means to faithfully follow you and to be obedient. What it means to be involved in evangelism and missions as believers today. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first thing we're going to focus on in this passage, right? So this is right when Jesus has resurrected and the believers, he appears to them and he's about to ascend to heaven and he says this to them. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the first thing we see is that we are to be witnesses for Christ. We are to be witnesses for Christ. So what is a witness? We talk about that in church a lot. We talk about, right, last week was our commitment to Christian witness. We talked about that, how we witness to others. So what does it mean to be a witness? I think it very really, very truly means the way the word witness is used in many ways in life. If you go to court and you are a witness, what are you called to do? To testify and to tell the truth, right? To, to say what you saw. So if you see a car accident or you see a crime take place and you are called to the courtroom to, to witness, to be a witness for the defense or for the prosecution, you are to tell them what you saw. You're to tell the truth. So Jesus is telling his disciples here, you are to be my witnesses. So what are they supposed to do? To tell people what they saw. Who Jesus is. The things he did, the things he taught. Right? We know that in the Great Commission. You are to go make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. They are to be his witnesses. In the same way that people witness in the courtroom, they tell what they saw, his disciples were to tell what they saw to tell the truth about who Jesus is. The first thing we know is to share about Christ, to be a witness, you must have first experienced who he is. It would be quite strange if you were summoned as a witness for an event you'd never seen. Right? If you had no idea what was going on, you were called to be a witness, how can you testify? How can you tell the truth about what you have not experienced? The gospel must have been good news to you before you can share it as good news to other people. If the gospel, meaning the good news, is not good news to you this morning, you are not able to then go and share it as good news to others. Here is a question I want to really challenge you with because we talk about evangelism and, and, and missions, the, the secret about it. We'll get to the, the end of it before we get to it. Every believer is called to engage in evangelism and missions in some capacity, okay? Every believer, every person in this room that claims to follow Jesus. Now, how, how that happens, the capacity at which that happens, the, the way that happens is different, right? We see in Scripture that evangelism is talked about as a spiritual gift. Some people are, are so skilled at evangelism, and you can think in your mind of people that, man, they are a great evangelist that when they speak people hear and they understand and god uses that person 
through His Spirit, has gifted that person to share the gospel and to see people be saved. Some people have a gift. But just because you don't have a gifting, maybe like another, doesn't mean you are relieved of the obligation to do it. Right? Think of another spiritual gift, hospitality. There are some people that when you walk in their home, you just know that they are so glad you're there. They, they just welcome you. You feel like you're a part of their family. They're hospitable. Hospitality is one of their spiritual gifts. But does that mean that a believer that does not have the gift of hospitality has the excuse to not be hospitable? Does that mean when people come and they come to your home, you're allowed to be rude to them or to not be hospitable? No. In the same way, just because you may not have been gifted with evangelism does not remove the obligation of sharing your faith with others. So the question I ask you, can you share your story? If someone were to come to you today, why are you a Christian? Can you explain what it means to follow Jesus? If someone were to come up to you and say, I want to follow Jesus, I want to be a Christian, could you explain what that means? I really hope that you can. Because if that is what you claim to have believed, all you have to do, and this is the simple part, all you have to do is explain to them what happened to you. Right? What is your testimony? If you're going to be a witness, you have to share your testimony. What is your testimony? The story about how you encountered who Jesus is. The way that he saved you from your sin. Because that is the, the whole story of what the gospel is to every person. That they are a sinner. Now the specifics look different. Some people are saved from this area of their life and, and sin. Some people grew up in church and were then convicted of their sin. That's my story. I was raised in church. But when I was eight years old in, in vacation Bible school, I realized, oh, this sin thing they're talking about, I have that. This salvation thing that they're talking about, I need that. And so I surrendered my life to Christ. There's some people who've never heard the name of Jesus, and then they, are, they hear the gospel and are convicted. So the, the, the specifics look different. But the story is the same. Sinner saved by grace to walk a new life following Jesus. What is your story? You may not remember the day. You may have been young. I'm not going to sit here and tell you if you can't tell me the date, time, and hour. There are people that say that. But if you know, you remember that distinctly at some point you remember being convicted of your sin, surrendering your life to Christ, and then you should be obedient following him in the baptism. That's your testimony. And so when you talk to somebody and you tell them, Man, I love Jesus, well, why? Because he saved me. He saved me from my sin. And he can save you. From your sin. That is the gospel. What Jesus has done for me, he can do for you. That's what it means to witness, to share your testimony. But you have to have that experience first. If you want to be a good witness for Christ, if you want to be a witness for Christ, you must have a testimony. You must have an experience where you have been saved from your sin. And then the next thing we see is that when we have seen and experienced who Christ is, we should be prepared to share what we have seen and heard. This is a vocal sharing of the gospel. And this is what I'm saying. Can you tell someone about what has happened to you? If you are nervous about that, if it, if it makes you, you get a little sweaty, you get a little anxious, that's okay. 
I think that's conviction because you know you should. Have you taken steps to be prepared to tell your story? Write it down. Figure out a way. Always be seeking to figure out how you can share with others. Can you put your faith into words? And then we see, if you have experienced who he is, not only should you be able to, you should be compelled to share it with others. It's not just that you're able to, not just that you have a story to tell, but you realize the gospel means that God interrupted the path you were headed on. Sinner, destined for hell and punishment because of our sin, my sin. Saved by grace, given new life through Christ. Do you know what that means? Every person apart from Christ needs that same grace. When we understand that, we are compelled to share it with others. Because we have to understand, if we believe the gospel, that's what it tells us, right? John, in, in John chapter 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no name by which people will be saved except for Jesus Christ. And if we believe that, if that's what our hope is in, we are compelled to share it with others. And in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are before the, the, the tribunal and, and they are telling them, do not preach in the name of Jesus anymore. This is their answer. Peter and John answered to them, whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Does that live within you, this, this un bearable desire and need to tell others. I, I don't care if, if you don't like it. I don't care if, if you don't like the, the truth of what I'm saying. I don't care if you're going to uh, come against me because of that, but I've got to share what Jesus has done for me. I've got to share about what Jesus can do for you. I can't stop speaking about what I've seen and I've heard in my life, in the life of those around me. I can't stop whether it's right to listen to you or to listen to God, to be obedient and follow him or to, to conform to what the people of the world tell me, you decide what's right. But we got to do what God has called us to do. And then there's the hard reality. If you don't feel compelled to share your faith with others, you need to really look at your heart in this matter. I think there's two things that, that that can mean. You need to gain a better understanding of exactly what Christ did for you and for all who believe. If you can take this gift that is freely available to all who believe and not want to share it, right? Sharing the gospel doesn't take away from your salvation. Right? I've, seen, I've seen these game shows where there's people that they have, there's an there's amount of money, and it's, it's two people. And they can either vote to stay in together and both get a small prize, or one of them can steal. And if the other doesn't steal, they get the whole thing to themselves. Right? That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about if you share your faith with someone that they can take it from you. Or you might somehow get a lesser reward in heaven from God. That's not at all. It's, it's actually the opposite. God is... Is, is pleased when you share your faith and you're obedient. So when we know what Jesus has done, how can we be greedy and hold that to ourselves? If we understand what he's done, 
And if you don't feel very compelled, you're like, well, that's kind of everybody else's job. I'm not really good at that. I don't know if that's what I want to do. I think you need to have a greater understanding of what Jesus has done for you and for others who have yet to believe. Now, if you're not even bothered by it, if you're not even bothered by the idea that you might share your faith, I think that's a, another level of, of introspection you need to have in looking at your heart to see whether you've truly believed in the first place. If going to church and following Christ is just something you do and you have no desire to have that impact the rest of your life at all, to impact the way you interact with lost people, at some point, there may be a point where you have to ask, do I know Christ at all? Do I, have I been saved by this grace because I don't care to talk about it. There's a difference between being conflicted and nervous and scared and then not caring and apathy for those that are lost. If you're, if you're nervous about it and you don't feel qualified to do it, you don't feel gifted enough, seek God in that. Seek to know Him more. Seek to be empowered by Him. But if you don't even care, you need to see whether you know Him at all. Because either you need to have a greater understanding of who God is and what he did, or you need to gain a greater, greater love for the people around you. That's one of the unmistakable things we see in Jesus and the way he lived with people. He loved the people around him. And the people he loved were the most unlovable in society. The outcasts, the sinners, those that he was called a drunkard because he hung around with the people that were entangled in their sin, mired in their sin, loved them, saved them, changed their life. We are called to do the same. So we need to pray that God will give us a better understanding of what he has done so that we will be more compelled to do it and that he will give us a greater love for those we interact with so that we will feel a compassion for them. We will see them with the eyes and the love that God has for them. Now, this task is intimidating. It's not easy. It's, it's very difficult. And, and the fact is, we can't do it. In and of ourselves, we are not equipped for the task. And that's what we see in this passage, is that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come, up, come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Too often we forget the wonderful gift we have been given in the Holy Spirit. We forget about what God has given us and who God has given us to complete the task that has been laid before us. Romans 8, 11 says, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. Did you catch that? This is talking about something else, but I want you to understand what it's saying. The Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, is the same Spirit that lives within every believer. This is the Holy Spirit that Jesus is talking about in John. When he's saying, it's good that I will leave you so that the Helper will come and he will reveal all truth to you. We talk about this great task of being God's witnesses into the world. This is not something that... Cole is called to do because of who he is and how great he is. It's not at all. It's the opposite of that. 
or who you are because of how great you are or how talented you are. It's the opposite of that. We are called to do this and equipped to do it by the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us and equips us to do this. And so we trust in the Spirit's power for, for several things. We trust in the Spirit's power for boldness. In Acts chapter 4, 29, right after they had been encountered and they boldly stood up to the Sanhedrin and the tribunal and they said, we have to speak about what we've seen and heard. Here's what they pray. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. The boldness that they proclaimed with came after what? The filling of the Holy Spirit. This is not Peter and John and their giftings and abilities and how wonderful they are. This is Peter and John surrendered, saved by the grace of Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit of God to be his faithful servants. The same spirit that we're talking about here is the same spirit that will be within you when you go to share your testimony, to share the good, the good news of the gospel with all that you encounter. The spirit emboldens us to speak in ways that are foreign to us. We think about, think about the story of Esther and her boldness before the king. There, there's a phrase that you often might hear in church, right? That, that, that God had, has placed you in, in the place you're at for such a time as this. And you are in all of the places that you are for such a time as this. And the, the time that it is is to share the gospel with those people. To be a witness for Christ. One of the things that, that my youth pastor always told us, and, and the, the, the great thing about that group that we were part of, was that we believed it. That there is no one who can influence the people around you better than you. The idea that, that someone else will do it, someone else will come in, someone else will witness, someone else will share the gospel. That's a false, that's a false idea. There is no one better prepared to do what God has called you to do than you. And you are fully equipped and fully ready to do it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God lives within you. You don't have to worry about if you're good enough, if you're smart enough, if you know enough of the Bible, if you can answer every question. Because the Spirit will give you boldness. And next we see He will give you the words to say. I don't, I, you, you may have seen spy movies at different times in your life where the, the protagonist might have an earpiece and there's someone telling them, what to say, to have the answers to the questions. They go into places where they don't really know what's going on or maybe they're even speaking a language they don't know and someone's in their ear telling them what to say. When, when Jesus sends the disciples out, he tells them that the Holy Spirit will be the one who talks on their behalf, right? So Matthew 10, 16 through 20, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Beware of them because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in their synagogues. We see that. Peter and John handed over. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and the Gentiles. Paul did this in the book of Acts. Stands before them, proclaims the gospel. But when they hand you over, 
Don't worry about how or what you are to speak, for you will be given what to say at that hour. Because it isn't you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father is speaking through you. Now, he's talking to the disciples. And so we can't look at this promise and say that's directly a promise to you. But the same Spirit that he promised this to the disciples with is the same Spirit that lives within you. And I can, I can tell you from my life that there's times where I've talked to people. And I can tell you that every Sunday there's times I get down and I'm almost like, I don't remember everything I said. Because the Spirit of God will lead you in how to share your faith. If you will be obedient into following into a conversation and lay aside the worry of not knowing what to say, the Spirit of God will be there. He will bring Scripture to your mind. He will remind you of why you have hoped. He will give you the ability to witness. And then we finally, we trust the Spirit for the work to be done. We trust the Spirit for the work to be done. In 1 Corinthians, there was this this issue that was going on of, of people that were kind of picking teams, right? They're like, hey, I'm team Paul. The others were like, I'm team Apollos. And so here is Paul's answer to them. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So, neither, so then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he, he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. So what he is saying is, hey, yeah, Apollos, may, he may have came, and he may have watered and, and shared more of the gospel after I came and I told you about it in the first place. But we're on the same team. And the one who did the work was God. God is the one that caused the growth. So when you go and you share the gospel, you pour your heart out, you're obedient, you trust the Spirit to guide you, guess what you also get to do? You get, you get to trust that it does not depend on how eloquently you present the gospel. It does not depend on how able you are to answer every question. It is in God's conviction of that person that they will be saved. The Holy Spirit of God will convict them of their sin. He will convict them. There have been people, I've heard time and time again, of people who share the gospel with people. And they are so like, man, that was so inadequate. When I was getting, I was a junior in high school, I was able to speak at this, this event. And it was the night after a football game. And it was cold, and it was October, and it was rainy. And so I developed this terrible cough. And every other word I spoke, I coughed. And I was trying to tell these people my story, to tell them about how I was a sinner that, that God had saved and how he had changed my life. But every other word I was coughing, I couldn't get anything out. And when I, came, and I went downstairs to change because you kind of dressed up for that part and you went and you changed and you came back. And, and I was so beat down because I was like, man, I didn't say anything I wanted to say. I, for, I forgot things. It, it definitely didn't come across clearly, but... But when I came back upstairs and they were having worship and a time of invitation after, there were people that had responded. There were people that were moving. And the song that was playing could not have been more fitting or more of a way for God to, to minister to me in that situation. It said, my flesh may fail, but God, you never will. And so when you share the gospel, you may mess it up. You may stumble over your words. You may, you may forget something you wanted to say. You may leave and you may be like, ah, here's 15 more scriptures I could have quoted. You may misquote the scripture. 
But what we trust is that my flesh may fail, but my God never will. And all we're called to do is to be faithful in sharing the gospel and trusting that the Holy Spirit will work and will move in their hearts and transform them and that they will respond. And the, the next thing we see from this passage is that we know our mission field. We know our mission field. We are called to be witnesses in various areas. And one believer cannot be a witness everywhere, but we are called to seek to support the witness of the gospel in all of these areas. So he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I want to challenge you to think about this from our context. They were in Jerusalem. So where are we? When we think about our Jerusalem, that's Evansville. That is the city around us. You are called to be my witnesses right where you are right now. So in Evansville. So how are you seeking, how are we as a church seeking to make disciples in the area directly around us? We have to reach out as individuals where we live, around our homes. We have to reach out as individuals and as a church around where our church is to personally evangelize, to personally share our stories with those we interact with. And then we see Judea. This is the, the more directly surrounding areas of that. Now, typically, you'd almost say your state, but we live in a very like tri-state area, right? We are closer to parts of Kentucky and Illinois than we are the, the furthest parts of Indiana. So the tri-state area, how are we going to make disciples in the tri-state area around us? How are we going to go to the places that are within a day there and back? How can we make disciples in these areas? How can we promote the expansion of the kingdom of God in the areas around us? And we see Samaria. This is the, 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 the parts that are further out. This is the United States. How are we making disciples in the United States? We see one way. We're going this summer to True North Church to, to seek to make the gospel known in Rochester. We're, we're going to try to expand the gospel. Mission opportunities, church partnerships. This is where we see that the cooperative program, right, through being a Southern Baptist. Why are we Southern Baptists? When we give, a portion of our giving goes to the cooperative program for the proclamation of, of the gospel to the United States through, through things like the Annie Armstrong offering that goes to North American missions, through, through the, the Christmas offering to the world, right? Through things like that, we're able to do that. We also do mission opportunities. And then to the ends of the earth. This is very simple. Everywhere else. The gospel must be proclaimed everywhere. And we can't go everywhere but we should be invested in seeing the gospel proclaimed everywhere. So the question we come to is why does it matter? Why does it matter? It matters because it is our commission. It is what God has called us to do. It is what we are called to do as a church. As a church of believers, we are called to proclaim the gospel, to be engaged in missions. Because if we don't, the gospel will not be shared. And you see what happens when the gospel is not shared. When you look at the way the world around us, we've already talked about this before, but the, the trends that are concerning in America, of the, the, the falling numbers of people involved in church, the falling numbers of people who would claim to be Christian. The reason that's happening is because people are not hearing the gospel. We look at places like Rochester, we look at places where, where they used to, there was a revival, great revival swept out, 
Now these people are very closed off to anything that has to do with faith. And then you look at, we're, we're, we're engaging in the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, right? She, she was a pioneer in, in Southern Baptist life in, in proclaiming the gospel with the, the Women's Missionary Union, the WMU. But the church she was saved in just a few years ago closed permanently in Baltimore. It was replanted and then finally closed permanently. And so a place where we see people who we look to and we admire their faith, where the gospel was proclaimed, now it is no longer. If we don't do what we're called to do, that is what will happen. We cannot count on our parents' faith. We can't count on our faith being good for our children or our neighbors. They must hear and they must believe. And it is what we are called to do personally. And the other reason is because people are lost and they're dying and going to hell. If we believe the gospel... If we believe what Jesus has, has taught us, we believe what the Bible teaches us about the punishment that is, is there for sin, this is what we know to be true. And if we have been saved, if we care about those that are around us, we must be compelled to share the gospel. And I shared this, this quote before, but it, I, it cannot get out of my mind when I think about this. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. If there will be people that go to hell, if there will be people that are punished for their sin, let them not go there unless they have heard the gospel. Unless we have done everything that we can to convince them to turn, to repent, and to follow Jesus. This is what we are called to do. This is why we've been talking about this mission and this vision of our church. To have this biblical foundation. That's why the gospel is a foundational element. And that we, we work to, to make sure that there is a biblical church body here that makes disciples of Jesus. Why? Because once they become disciples of Jesus, do you know what they do? They make disciples. It's a cyclical process and it, it grows and we reach people. But if any part of this cycle breaks down, the gospel won't be proclaimed. If we reach hundreds of people in the next 10 years, but we don't teach them how to follow Christ, we don't teach them how to make disciples, guess what happens 50 years later? Disciples aren't being made. It's a process. This is why we're doing this. So the gospel may be proclaimed and God will be glorified. It's what we're called to do. And as we come to this time of invitation, I have two questions for you this morning. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you understood your sinfulness? Have you been convicted of the ways that you've been so disobedient to him in your life? And have you turned to him for your salvation and him alone? Not Jesus and my good works, not Jesus and uh, something else I'm trying to do, but Jesus alone for your salvation. 
Have you been obedient, following in baptism? Have you been following him in your life? Do you know Jesus? The first question. The second, if you do know him, are you leading others to do the same? Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray that you would just convict us this morning to see the lostness around us, to see what you have done for us, Lord, and just to fill us with a fire and a desire to see your kingdom built right here, to see your kingdom built across the world, and to understand that whatever part it may be, whether small or large, Lord, that we all have a part to play in, in expanding the kingdom of God, of sharing the gospel. We all have a story to tell of what your grace has done for us. Convict us of that. Give us boldness through your spirit. Give us the words to say, prepare the fields. As, as Bobby preached last week, that the, the, the harvest is ready. Lord, help us to be faithful in going into it. And Father, if there is anyone who does not know, here to, not, not know you here today, Lord, I pray that they would turn to you. Whether they are young or whether they are old, whether it's remove anything that would be an obstacle from them turning to you today. Because the most joyful thing they can do is to lay all else aside and follow you. God, I pray that you would be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we have this time of invitation.